0: if you can think of some things that get in the way of letting the Lord have his way. Anybody think of anything that gets in the way of the Lord having his way? Yes. Our pride. You know, I was hoping for all kinds of answers, but that one particular, I was hoping somebody would have. Did you hear what she said? What'd she say? Pride. Pride. That's right. Pride is gets in the way of a lot of things, a lot of things. And we're going to learn from Nebuchadnezzar this morning the importance of being humble. Now, humble isn't exactly the opposite of pride, but um, it's in the right direction. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But before we do, let us pray together. Our gracious and good and great almighty God, we bow before you here this morning, acknowledging your greatness, acknowledging your glory and majesty. And as we see ourselves, we wonder that you even take thought of us. But at the same time, we rejoice and our hearts are thrilled knowing that we are your most cherished creation. And so, Lord, I pray that as we learn today from the life of Nebuchadnezzar, as we learn from his testimony that uh, we would learn the importance of being clothed with humility and, most importantly, the importance of praising and worshiping you. And so, Lord, teach us now, we pray in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 4. Last Sunday afternoon, we spent a little bit of time in this chapter learning about Nebuchadnezzar. And we learned a little bit about his professions. We're not going to take time to review all of that today, so if you missed it, it's on the podcast, and you should be able to listen to it there and catch up in learning some of the evaluation of Nebuchadnezzar's professions. But as we learned, we found out that Daniel chapter 4 is not actually written by Daniel. Daniel. Who wrote Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar did. And that's really impressive. Now, I'm going to let you into a little secret. Typically, when great and powerful emperors, because that's really kind of what Nebuchadnezzar was, he was bigger than a king. He was a king of kings. He was an emperor. And typically, when emperors record the history about themselves, um, they typically ignore all the bad stuff. And they talk about all the good stuff. In fact, when we study certain parts of secular history, meaning non-inspired, man-recorded history, we sometimes have a hard time. Do you know why? Because the pharaohs and the kings, boasting about themselves, claimed they did things they didn't actually do. They claim things that they did and that their dad did, and sometimes as far back as five generations. And so when we try to understand and piece together the chronology of it all, sometimes it gets really hard because the kings are boasting about themselves and how big and great and wonderful they are and all of the things they have accomplished. And so the records are filled with either exaggerations or stretching of the truth. That's why Daniel chapter 4 is so interesting. Daniel chapter 4 is so interesting because we find Nebuchadnezzar raw, honest about who he is. We find him humble. And not just humble. See, You can be humble and still not right with God. You need to be humble and right with God. You need to be humble and have a right view of who God is. And we see that in Nebuchadnezzar's life. That's why I said earlier just a moment ago that being humble is not just the opposite or not the solution to pride. Humility only comes when we have the right view of God. So really, really, um, pride, and the solution for pride, is a knowledge of the holy. And I use the word holy intentionally, not just because it's from the scriptures, but because God is holy. And can somebody tell me what the word holy means? Set apart, set apart. You see, if there's anyone who has a right to be proud, it would be God. In fact, that's the reason why pride is so bad, is because the only one who is holy and great and high and lifted up and separate from everything else is God. And the very reason why pride is a problem is because pride tries to lift ourselves up higher than we should, which means we're really making ourselves a god. Well, let's be honest, a wee little tiny God. Nebuchadnezzar began to understand this. This morning, we're going to learn some things from Daniel chapter 4, but we're also going to learn some things that are recorded for us in secular history. And what's also intriguing now is we compare the Bible record to secular history, it makes the record of Daniel chapter 4 even more fascinating and exciting as we actually do learn about the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar. But before we do that, let's do a wee bit of review. Oh, you've got all the answers up there. I wanted to start off like this here. Our acronym, our outline for the book of Daniel. Our phrase is Daniel's faith. Can someone shout out for me what the D stands for? All right, he's got his first one, so he's got to be quiet. Somebody else has got to try. Daniel is favored by Nebuchadnezzar. What's the A stand for? Yes, answer to the king's dream. Now, just a note for you all, that was the first dream we learned about Nebuchadnezzar when he dreamed and had a vision of an image, remember, of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and iron mixed with clay. Today we're going to learn about a different vision, a different dream, and this one is not about an image, it's about a tree, okay? So keep that straight. Daniel chapter 2 was about an image, dream Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel chapter 4 is about a tree vision Nebuchadnezzar had. So we've got Daniel's favored by Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 1, Daniel answers Nebuchadnezzar's dream and gives the interpretation of it in Daniel chapter 3, in John chapter 2. What's the end stand for? That's right, Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. And we just sang about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I knew that song, I don't know where you are, Brother Tool, but from when I was a child, and, um, and I really liked that song. But I actually have a problem with that song. No, don't worry, I'm glad you sang it. It's not that kind of a problem. I grew up knowing the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it wasn't until I was all grown up that I took the time and effort to learn their Hebrew names. And I like their Hebrew names a whole lot more than their Babylonian names. I hope you all do too. I wonder, we all know the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think that seems to just go. But does anybody know their Hebrew names? Can somebody call out their Hebrew names? Hannah? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And and up there, we've got somebody ready to say it too. So yes, good, I'm glad you know it. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their Hebrew names are very special, very important. So Daniel chapter three in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace of fire. And who can tell me the chapter we're at today? What's the acronym or phrase to help us remember it? I see some people mouthing it because they're too shy to say it, Right? That's right, the interpretation of the tree vision. That's where we're at today. So turn with me to Daniel 4, where it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. The introduction of who is speaking and who is writing this is Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to skip our timeline here and go right into chapter 4. I have to wonder if Daniel helped Nebuchadnezzar. I like this picture because it shows Nebuchadnezzar there standing and pro- making this proclamation. The artist depicting it and chose to depict Daniel standing there to the side. I like that because I think Daniel was very much involved in helping King Nebuchadnezzar do this. I think he was very much involved. And Nebuchadnezzar is making this proclamation to everybody all across his empire. And you know what? His proclamation is just as relevant for us over 2,500 years later as it was way back then. The truth of what he declares and the testimony that he gives is just as relevant today as it was way back then. In fact, his greeting is too, Peace be multiplied unto you. That's actually incredible. You don't find that in records of the kings. Well, we might say, Well, that sounds pretty familiar to me. You're right, it does. Because it was a very common greeting of Christians, of Christians in the New Testament era. But we're talking about one who is the conqueror, the emperor, the mighty king, declaring peace be multiplied to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. God is great, Nebuchadnezzar declares. How great are his signs? How mighty are his wonders? His kingdom is everlasting. Does that sound like a lesson Nebuchadnezzar had already been taught? Think about it. Think about the first dream we learned about Nebuchadnezzar had. What was the whole point of the image dream? Somebody tell me. What was the whole point of the image dream? The kingdom that's coming. The kingdom that's coming that will last forever. Declaring God as king. And here Nebuchadnezzar is declaring that very fact. This is very interesting because to just give you a time lapse of the, where we're at, when this proclamation is being made, it is at the very end of Nebuchadnezzar's life. The very end. Perhaps he's starting to realize that his kingdom's not forever. Both Um, practically as well as spiritually. I know he's getting it spiritually, but I wonder if he's getting it practically too. God's kingdom is forever. And then he tells the story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. You know, we all can identify with him in some way, can't we? I mean, most of us, I think, all have houses. And I think most of us had a good night's sleep last night in our house, didn't we? And many of us flourish. It's hard not to flourish in some ways in this blessed country we live in. Nebuchadnezzar flourished and was at rest. And he says, I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Isn't it interesting that no matter how much stuff you have, no matter how nice of a house you have, and no matter how much you flourish, you can always be troubled on the inside. Now I say can always be troubled. We can always be troubled, but in the midst of those troubles, as Christians, we can rest, we can have peace through them. I think Nebuchadnezzar gets a little bit as it goes on. And he speaks of this, and he had some trouble. Now, let's, let's take a moment here as we see him flourishing in his palace. Let's, let's look at some things about Babylon. You can see this picture here. It's actually quite accurate. In fact, if anything, it's not quite glorious enough. The Babylonian Empire at this point is growing and growing. This is a map that shows the Babylonian Empire, and it's in the green, and the capital is the red star. Now, this kingdom, this empire, grew over time. It didn't start this big. It grew throughout the time period. And in fact, shortly before the events that we take place, if we were to look here, You see Egypt down there in the bottom left side? That was the last region that Nebuchadnezzar conquered. In fact, it was right around the time that he was fighting against the nation of Israel, Judah, that he was having a lot of trouble with Egypt, actually. So while Daniel's been here in Babylon, and we've been learning all about Daniel, let's not forget the fact that back in Jerusalem for much of this time, uh, Jer- Jerusalem has still been besieged and there's been the famine and there's all that trouble with Babylon has been going on back then at the same time as these events. Now, these take place later after Jerusalem has fallen in Daniel chapter 4. And, uh, but just recently, Nebuchadnezzar has conquered Egypt. Now, you may not think that was a big deal, but that was a big deal Egypt was one of the world powers. I mean, to put it in perspective, and it's not totally fair and parallel, but it would be like Russia taking over the United States. That'd be a big deal, two world powers and take, dominating each other. That was the big deal. So Nebuchadnezzar has just recently, before the events here of Daniel chapter 4, conquered and expanded his empire to include Egypt. And so he is great. When he says that he is flourishing in his palace, he is. His his palace, his treasuries are overflowing with riches and wealth. Riches and wealth that he has accumulated, riches and wealth that he has conquered and brought back to Babylon, he is overflowing with wealth, gold, silver all precious things you could imagine. The city of Babylon itself, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, has grown and grown and become a great city. This was the symbol of his power. The city was protected by a system of double walls. So not just was there one wall around the entire city, there were two walls around the entire city, meaning that if anyone was going to conquer Babylon, they are going to have to bust through the first wall, and then they were going to have to bust through a second wall, and that's not easy. It was actually, in some regards, an impregnable city, which may be all the more surprising why they got conquered. The walls of this city were so wide that chariots, it was like a two-lane highway, that on top of the wall, chariots could pass beside each other it was a, more than 25 feet wide there were 40 feet between every tower and there were 160 towers or i'm sorry 260 towers that were around this fortress this fortress city and not only was it what this huge fortress of a city it was beautiful Throughout the city, it was decorated with a beautiful blue glaze, and then in other places, decorated with other multicolored glazes and gold leaf. All throughout the city, there was beautiful adornment. In the fact, in the main thoroughfare coming into the city, there was this massive, major parade route. It was it was like a highway, but it was a parade route, and it went for two thirds of a mile. It was 70 feet wide it was called the procession street it came to the ishtar gate its walls on either side were decorated with the enameled bricks and they had 120 lions and 575 dragons and they were and bowls arranged on the walls Actually, if you were to go to Chicago at the Oriental Museum, you can see they've they've been able to rescue some of these pieces, and they're on display, put on the walls in that museum there. All of this pathway continued on down through till it came to this focal point of what's known as the Ishtar Gate, a magnificent and beautiful gate that was 35 feet high, and it was decorated with 557 different animals all against that beautiful blue glazed background. It had the river flowing right through the city, which was its weakness. But we'll get to that another time. One of the features about it as well is that it had the great tower of Babylon Now you might say, wait a minute, I thought the great tower of Babel, they didn't ever finish it. Well, you'd be right. The one that was, let's see, um, over uh, about, uh, let's see how many thousand years before this would have been, about 2,000 years before Nebuchadnezzar's time, there was in this same region a tower of Babel we learned about in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 that was attempted to be built. And you remember, God confused their, their, their languages so that they couldn't finish it. Well, is it any surprise to you that the great, majestic Nebuchadnezzar built a Tower of Babel? And guess what? He finished it. He finished this Tower of Babel, and it was impressive. They estimate that over 60 million fired bricks were used to construct this ziggurat. And in this, this Tower of Babel, It wasn't just an architectural wonder. It was built very similar to the same reason why the ancient people in the plains of Shinar were building a Tower of Babel. It was not to glorify God, it was a tower to worship Marduk, a false pagan god. And in fact, in this tower, there was a statue, an idol of Marduk, which is thought from calculations to have weighed 52,000 pounds of solid gold. Here was not only Nebuchadnezzar's great wealth and fame and power, but he boasted in his idolatry. At the north end of the city near the Ishtar Gate was the royal palace. And it too was magnificent. His throne room was 171 by 56 feet. It had a triple gateway, and it was richly decorated. All of it. This is just one little sample of all that throne room as Nebuchadnezzar had decorated it. He had a wife who was from, a median wife, and he wanted to build her a garden. And so he built her a beautiful garden. There's evidences of it in near the northeast side of the city of Babylon. Now, whether or not this is the famous hanging gardens of Babylon, we don't know. It may be, but um, it's kind of interesting because here again, you see how history talks about this person gets this established and this. Did Nebuchadnezzar really build the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the wonder, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Actually, as we look back, we're not entirely sure. But as we look at other things, it wouldn't surprise me. But we do know he had a very impressive agricultural something on one part of this city that was absolutely amazing. Nebuchadnezzar has reached the pinnacle of his power. The known world has been conquered. That region there you see, saw in green, it's all green at the point of this dream. Nebuchadnezzar is the greatest of the great of all the kings of earth. And you know, I'm not exaggerating that. Do you know why I'm not exaggerating it? Because God himself admitted it. But in spite of Nebuchadnezzar being the greatest and the greatest, and the greatest king, and you might even say man in all the world in his day, he was still nothing compared to God. Despite all of his accomplishments, all that he had done, he was still ever so tiny, ever so small, when compared to the majesty and glory of God. And you know what? All of us, have incredible potential. Do you all know what that word means? Micaiah, do you know what potential means? Nope. How about you, Justice? Do you know what potential means? Potential means that uh, if there is something that you are able to do, if you work hard at it, you can do it. There's a lot of things that if we work hard at, we can do. Part of the reason that is is because God has made us in His image. God has created us with a brilliant mind. Unlike all the other creatures on this earth, He has created us with a mind that is like His, that can reason and plan and thought and create, strategize. He has given us this wonderful and beautiful mind. Do we use it to glorify Him? I think it's amazing that he built this great city, built the great gardens. Now, I don't like the idol. But even the fact that he was able and had the ability to build all of these beautiful things, and it wasn't, by the way, just him. Um, Part of Nebuchadnezzar's problem, too, is that I don't think he had value in all the people who did it. He just sat in his pellet. Well, I shouldn't say he just sat. I I think he was a brilliant man, and I think he was a hard worker. But um, most of Babylon was built by enslaved labor, and skilled workers that were paid to do their job. Nebuchadnezzar, though, boasted of it as his own. What do we do? Did you know that you can be very proud to do nothing? (gasps) You might say, well, I'm being humble. I'm not showing off how smart I am in school. You know, those kids that are smart in school, they're just showing off their smarts. Well, don't show off your smarts. But oh, please work hard in your school. Work hard in your school because God gave you that mind to use it. And don't use it to make yourself smarter. Use it so that you can glorify God. When you create things, when you do things, do you create them just because you enjoy them? Even, let's say, oh, let's get really simple your Legos. I know some of you have created some magnificent Lego creations. I mean, some of you have done it the easy way. Oh, it's not always the easy way. You know, bought those kits that tell you how to do every single brick. And some of you have created things where you just have used your own imagination. Amazing inventions. But is that done so that you can just say, look how good I am, look how enjoyable. Oh, such satisfaction we get when we build something, create something. And there's nothing wrong with the satisfaction. That's a wonderful thing. But do we give the glory to God? And as we look at that creation, do we say, thank you, God, for giving me a mind to be able to put this together. Thank you, God, that I can use these fingers you gave me to take those ever so finicky pieces and put them in the right spot, even when it's not Lego brand. Oh, there's no legal loyalists in here. I thought I'd get some joke cracks out of that one. God is giving us all that we have in our abilities. Every breath we take, every beat of our heart, is because of our God. And so, in everything, we glorify Him. In everything. And you know, Nebuchadnezzar didn't learn that until the end of his life. But do you know why he's making this decree in Daniel chapter four? So that all of us, all the peoples of the world, reading this account don't have to wait till they're old, frail men to realize that everything we have is because of God. And to praise him and worship him and walk humbly with him. Nebuchadnezzar was great. He was at rest, and he was flourishing, like, like those weeds in your garden do. It seems like the weeds flourish more than the vegetables. But that, that, that which is flourishing and growing so wonderfully, this was Nebuchadnezzar. He had it all. But in verse 5, he had a dream that made him afraid And so it says in verse 6, Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians and astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them. But they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at last, Daniel came in Before me, whose name was Belteshazzar. I think this is great. He's identifying him as Daniel using his Hebrew name, and then he uses the name he gave him by which he was known throughout the empire. And I'll let you in on a little hint. I think that Belteshazzar had been ruling as the emperor of the kingdom for the past seven years. And so when he brings up his name, everybody in the empire, I think, knew him. We'll talk about why that I think that later. And it says here that Daniel came in before me, whose name was Balthasar, according to the name of my God. Identifies that he gave him a different name, but yet honors him by giving him his real name, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him, I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the Mishishas, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. To tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of my head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached into heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of mine head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said, Who down this tree? And cut off his branches. Shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Now, I wonder, perhaps you're not as smart as Daniel, nor have you the special, the special privilege Daniel had in the ability to interpret this dream. But if you look at this and you think about it, especially if you'd already had a dream about an image and God told you it had to do with you, do you see why Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by this dream? The truth of the matter is without Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had enough information from that watchman to know to know what he really needed to know. And that was this: that the most high ruleth in heaven. He rules in the kingdom of men. He is the God of all kings. He is the God of all creation. Nebuchadnezzar had that much. But as he's telling his story now, he continues in verse 18. He says, This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now therefore, O Balteshazzar, decree declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Now, I wonder, if you were one of those wise men of Babylon coming before that great king, do you think you could have given them enough, any interpretation having already known what you just heard? Actually, I think you could. I think every one of you, even down to the smallest children, could give the basic, basic details and the basic important part of this vision. It's what? It's that the living may know, including you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomsoever he will. What's that mean? Humble yourself, king. Acknowledge him as king of kings. Acknowledge him as God of gods. Acknowledge him as the creator. Look at how Daniel replies. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour. He didn't just jump up and give the interpretation of the dream of, to the king. And his thoughts troubled him. You might say, Why? This is an easy one. (laughs) Daniel knew more than the obvious. So the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Brothers and sisters, Daniel sets forth for us in this point a wise example. He doesn't come down bombasting Nebuchadnezzar, insulting Nebuchadnezzar, calling him names. In fact, when this this despot That's a name that we could use for Nebuchadnezzar, and it's a derogatory term, but it's not really because it actually describes him. Deserves all the mean names to be called to him, and here now is a vision that's actually very bad for the king. Daniel is troubled, and he shows to him respect, and he actually prefaces and begins his thing by saying, let it be for those who hate you and are your enemies. Not to you. But then he goes on and tells them the truth. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the ends of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher, and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew down the tree and destroy it. It leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and of brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O King. And this is the decree. Of the Most High, which is come upon my Lord, the King. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The tree was chopped down. The leaves and the branches were scattered. Daniel's prophesying that Nebuchadnezzar was going to live like an animal till seven times passed over him. Imagine that. The greatest emperor of the world, flourishing at rest in his palace, being told that he will live like an animal. Till when? Did you catch it? Somebody, somebody look here and and, and stand up and read for me. Till what? Hint, middle of verse 25. Somebody stand up and read it to me. there it is. Nebuchadnezzar, will you know? Will you know? Verse 26 is interesting because he goes on and he says, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump and the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. This isn't talking about some um, astrology. It's talking about the God who created the heavens, who lives in the heaven. Wherefore, O king, Let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Here is the message King, look here, break off thy sins. What's that mean? Stop sinning! Stop sinning! but don't just stop sinning. Break off thy sins by righteousness. You know, so often the reason why we're sinning is because we're actually not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Do you know that? Very often we are sinning because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Here he lives in tranquility. Here he lives flourishing in wealth and ease and luxury and rest. And here it's stated indirectly that he doesn't show mercy to the poor. And Daniel advises him, show mercy to the poor. Why? That it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. He's experiencing tranquility. Tranquility is another way of describing that he is at rest and he is flourishing in his palace. Daniel says that your days may be lengthened in your tranquility. Do these things. Now, you tell me the great tree, the picture of Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledged by God to be great, but cut down, but not uprooted. Instead, the band of iron there, the band of brass to preserve him. Now, if you were Nebuchadnezzar the Great, and you had just been given this counsel from Daniel. What would you do? Be careful how you answer that question. So often we maybe say, Well, I wouldn't be like Nebuchadnezzar. And you go, I don't do that with my collar. Nobody does that with their collar. Yeah, you're, you're right. We don't. I would humble myself. Would you? I mean, think of all the experiences that Nebuchadnezzar has had with God. Would he humble himself? If it were such, so basic as that, then why in the New Testament to Christians is it repeated over and over and over to be clothed with humility, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, though he be equal with God, made himself a man of no reputation, became a servant, and we are commanded to follow his example. If it were just so, got it, check, would the scriptures be filled so full of warnings against pride and commands to us to praise and worship God and to humble ourselves? You see, it's not just about saying, I got it, I'm going to be humble. I'm not going to be proud like Nebuchadnezzar. Let me give you a different way to say it. By God's grace, I will walk humbly with my God. Because let me give you a clue that unless you're walking with your God, you won't walk humbly. A little pet peeve of mine, all you artists, that verse is wonderful in the Old Testament where it says about do justice, show mercy, and walk humbly. I beg you, don't stop at the word humbly. Everywhere I see that art depicted in scriptures and plaques and verses, so often it ends with the word humbly. All that's given in that command is empty and meaningless if you'd missed the last prepositional phrase. With thy God. So if you have one of those at home, go home and add with thy God at the end of it. Sometimes I'm at people's homes and I say, can I mark on your art? I only do that to people I know really well. I, well, I know somebody here, I did it too. But anyway, um, it's, it's so important, that little prepositional phrase. With thy God. Humility is not about me trying to be lowly. It's about me recognizing who I am before the great God who created me And presenting myself, as Brother Reisinger shared two weeks ago, presenting myself to him. It's a here am I. That's what the humbling is. It's it's not fasting. It's not going through some humiliating exercises. It's not denying yourselves luxuries. It is presenting yourself to God. Here am I. Use me. I'm yours, and praising him. The solution for pride is worship. Worship is the exalting of God, seeing him for who he is, because when we see him for who he is, we will automatically be humbled. It's a natural thing that will happen. We will naturally be humbled. Will Nebuchadnezzar, will he, will he humble himself? Will Nebuchadnezzar present himself to God? You know what, I intended to cover this, but I think I'll just leave you all in suspense. Will he? Now, do something for me. Some of you know the history. Some of you don't. You may be surprised by that, but some of you don't know the history. Don't forget that there's some here who don't know what's going to happen here. After last week, I shared some of this detail. Some people came, I never knew that. That's okay. And actually, for all of you who do know it, put yourself in that position. If you had experienced this dream, you would certainly see, of course, Nebuchadnezzar. He will humble himself, will he not? He will humble himself. Would he not? I would. Would you? You know why these things are written for our learning? That we may learn by them. Nebuchadnezzar has had object lesson after object lesson. He's had preaching pretty much his entire reign. You know, Daniel has been in his court from the first or second year of his reign, and and if we actually do the calculations, likely before he actually became emperor. Daniel has been there all of this time having an influence on the king. At this point, he is second in the kingdom. Daniel's been right there beside him. Got Nebuchadnezzar with a good preacher. Will Nebuchadnezzar choose to listen to what he has been commanded to do? Well, no, we're gonna leave it there. Y'all thinking, wait a minute, Nebuchadnezzar wrote this. I just gave it away, didn't I? Well, we'll find out. But I beg you, would you take time to actually read back through this chapter? Focus and meditate especially on the end of what God wanted to teach Nebuchadnezzar. Because I'll let you in on a secret. What God wanted to teach Nebuchadnezzar is the same thing that he wants all of us to know. What God wanted to teach Nebuchadnezzar is the same thing he wants to teach to you and wants to teach to me. He wants to teach it to the governors and the rulers, even in our own nation. Last Sunday afternoon, I shared with you Um, that billboard that was shared in the neighboring states around California, um, I have printed in the back for you a copy of a letter that a pastor in California, John MacArthur, sent to the governor appealing to him. You know, that letter is very similar to this dream. It's different. But how important it is for every man, woman, and even child to learn the truth of Daniel chapter 4 that we walk humbly with our God. Gracious God, we acknowledge you today as the creator. We acknowledge you as God of all. We acknowledge you as glorious and almighty and all-powerful. May we in our pride, in our accomplishments, in all of our lives, know you to be God and worship you. May we exalt you, lift you up, praise your holy name. And in doing so, would you give us the proper view of ourselves that we would see and know our need to walk humbly with you. May we be filled with your Spirit. May we present ourselves to you. We pray in your precious name. Amen.